Hey, before the episode begins today, I wanted to give a shout out to all of our audio listeners. You guys have been growing in numbers. It's been incredible to see. And I would love for you to help us out wherever you're listening to your podcast. If you could leave us a rating on the podcast, hit us with that five stars. If you've been enjoying the content for the last few months that we've been sharing it here, it would truly go a long way in helping us grow on podcast platforms. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Into the Unknown podcast. You might be hearing this in two parts. We'll have to see how it goes. Probably not. But we are here covering the PAX Unplugged weekend. Scott's got the mug for the match because we're doing this early in the morning, which is why he's got the glimmer shine in his head. <laughs> how you doing, Scott? How you recovering from the weekend? Tired, but good. <laughs> Tired. <laughs> it was a couple long days. Um, mostly good food. Um, all things we can expect from Philadelphia. So there's that, right? Yeah, I felt like the days were kind of like split into like arrival, food, mm. event, yeah, food. Like you know, <laughs> it was like it was like different sections of the day type thing. Yeah, it's weird. Like, um, we got there pretty early both days. Um, yeah, and it was nice because like. Obviously, we're familiar with the area, so we kind of know where to go for food. And although I can tell anybody to go to Reading Terminal, there's still like specific spots that I would specifically go to. Yeah, um, but it was nice. It wasn't bad. Um, I felt uh, I felt like Saturday was more crowded, you know, by design, you know. But it was funny because like when we got in there, um, you know, as like as we walk in, we can show off some some of the pictures along the way, but, uh, you know, I work here for a living. So I'm here in this building, like, I don't know, three or four times a month, probably. And it was cool to walk in again, see the packs on plug sign. I think I swear they've been using the exact same sign for five years now. Like (laughs) they haven't updated this one at all. Um, but you know, normal scheme come in grand ballroom, uh, see everybody. Uh, I will say that this year was a little bit better, I really do like that the entrance was in the grand ballroom area as aside from the last few years where it's been like all the way up on 15th street and everyone has to stand outside and go through this little ass line and then make their way through bad. Like this is like a way better scenario for this. So I'm, I'm glad they went back to this. I know I went Thursday night to pick up my badges, but realistically I just didn't have to because there was nobody in line to get badges on Friday morning, ironically. Yeah. Yeah. So all in all, uh, I think it was a uh, it was very nice, nicely done by Pax. Uh, everything, you know, pretty flawless. And then, of course, we were like, uh, we got to get to th- this portion of it. I will, I'll, I'll, I'll skate through a little bit here. So this is the line for the queue. Uh, we were we ended up being the last people in the quote official queue line. Yeah, which was the ironic, uh, exact opposite of Gen Con, but. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, I got pretty far to the back, but it was all sitting on a jacket. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. Um, but this was nice because we knew about it leading into there was going to be a queue line. It was actually officially on the map of PAX Unplugged. And to kind of give people an understanding is this was in front of uh, Hall Room C. So there's Hall Rooms A through E, and this is basically dead center of all those things. And you walk in and there was just either the gigantic queue line for the hall, like for the exhibit hall on the left, right to this. And then this was connected, but on the right. 
And it was just two little lines that ended up being three or three and a half, I think. Yeah. So, but it was nice because we got in this line, what, like 925-ish or something like that. Yeah, sounds well, right. Yeah, so it was something like that. And then we were probably out of it by 1030. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, well. So the hall didn't yeah, yeah. open until yeah. 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I think from where we were till we got product, it was probably about 35, 45 minutes. Yeah, that's that's fair. So, all in all, that was great. Huge shout out to Robinsberger for pulling that one off. Um, I actually... I actually had a, like a really long conversation with the events manager. I believe her name was Melissa. Uh, this was Friday night after the starter deck tournament. And she came over and she was discussing like the differences between Gen Con and here and how like she really wanted to make sure we had our own queue system, had our own lines. And that all went really well. Um, she also had, I guess, a lot to do with where product was being uh, like stationed. So okay. on Friday, there was no product like near the gaming area, which I think that on Saturday and Sunday, they ended up changing that. I know it was definitely there Sunday. I didn't actually check on Saturday. Um, Saturday, all I saw, I saw starter decks. I don't yeah. remember seeing boosters, though. They, I think they definitely had the playmats oh, okay. and yeah. the yeah. deck boxes as sure. well. Sure. And on, on Sunday, they did have boosters, but it was like a limited amount of them. Okay. But it was still cool to see like that even kind of grow over the weekend of understanding like, well, if people come here for the learn the play, you may as well give them the opportunity to go buy a starter deck, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because yeah. they weren't like far apart, uh, like the booth and the and the gaming area, but it was enough for someone to like change their mind, right? Like if kind of like one of those like fresh things, it's like, hey, I'm right here. So if I'm right here and I have the ability to go buy it right now, that's the perfect opportunity, then letting them walk away from the store. Yeah, agreed. So, um, any more touches on you know? Obviously, we're the, the the first portion here is kind of like the reason, right? So the we we this is a little little tidbit into it here, but Scott and I live in Philadelphia, so it was kind of a no brainer to go to Pax Unplug, especially right after Robinsberger announced they were going to be there. It was definitely a no brainer. Uh, as competitive players, we would have had to make a decision if we wanted to go to GalaxyCon had Robinsberger not been here, uh, which could have happened. Don't know. Never. We'll never know because Robinsberger ended up here. But let's go back to um, this wonderful photo that Scott took on <laughs> Friday morning of the landmark amount of booster boxes. Scott, so get, let's give me give me the rundown of uh, the Robinsberger booth this weekend. So that's half. so there's like imagine that times two with i think it was three people in front of each one of them selling your product so that's why the line went pretty fast yeah with was was it two or three i don't even know i think it was six yeah again with like you know ipads with with you know point of sale systems and everything like that that was completely tied to everything so and there was a small little line and then you would wait like outside the complete booth until you got into that little line so you weren't like crowded at all once you were like in that no. carpeted area no or anything like that um and they had everything for sale there both work on it and i guess like whatever like whatever else was on their list of terms of like i will i will stuff. say that by sunday there was much more other robinsberger stuff than just this oh 
they very clearly knew that Friday and likely Saturday, this is exactly what was going to be expected of most people coming into the booth to buy product. Oh, but on okay. Sunday, there was like all the villainous games. There was puzzles. It was like very differentiated. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was great. I mean, like they would pull out, like you could buy up to five boxes, and it didn't make it didn't make a dent in that picture whatsoever. So, right. So to correct, <laughs> on Friday they did announce that there was a limit. Uh-huh. Um, I actually have my badge. So my badge. Like just like Gen Con did get cut. You can see a little corner here get snipped. Scott didn't again, <laughs> but didn't matter. Uh, in the end, they ended up Friday night. Uh, again, I was speaking with the event manager, Melissa, and she had said that they had uh, grossly overestimated the product they brought for the actual attendance of the convention that would be interested in Disney Lorcana. So therefore that they did not care about the cut badge anymore at all. And we were able to go and purchase things throughout the weekend. If we wanted to, the badge wouldn't have mattered. So I ended up buying, uh, purchasing more boxes on the way out on Friday, uh, even though I had a cut badge. So that was nice because I think they realized that, Hey, you're here. Why limit it? Like just, there was, there was for most people, I should say a limit to what you could buy in one setting, which was like, you can only buy one box. Like, yeah. Someone couldn't just walk up and say, I need a hundred boxes. Like they, they weren't doing that. Uh, but you're, there was no limit to how many times you could walk through the line and things like that. Eventually uh, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. The one thing I'll say is you had mentioned, like we had to make a decision about going to galaxy con or, or whatever, but honestly, like there was also a decision of like that. Was, it was also a big box release weekend. And so there was right. no way until we knew they were going to be there. Like we act, there was actually a point where it was like, Hey, if they're not there, I'm not gonna be able to get as much product, right? And because, because you know, like, take us back two weeks ago, like we 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 got a, a good amount of LGS product, but it was still less than Chapter One. In fairness, yeah, we, we got less than Chapter One, correct? Yeah, which seemed to be pretty standard for everybody two weeks ago. A right. lot changes in two weeks, um, but like our opportunity to to get this reprint restock and chapter two big box release was out the window because like we, we got there at eight o'clock in the morning on Friday. So it, honestly, if like it worked out obviously, but like if Robin's burger wouldn't have been there as a convention. Yeah. And like, and like then if I was, I mean, I don't think I would have been going for Arcana. Like then I would have had to make a decision. Like literally, do I want to do the, the target Walmart shuffle again, or do I want to go to a convention? But luckily that be, that became a non-issue, but even even when they originally said, "Hey, you can only get one box each for the for the for the whole show," yeah, I probably could have bought more at Targets and Walmart's. So, like again, it didn't work out that way, but like it, it's good to know that like it worked out in the favor of helping the players that actually wanted to attend a convention to play the game. Yeah, um, I think it's it, it was a good audible on the weekend too, realizing where they were with product after day one, understanding that they, in my opinion, very likely went home with product, which they, which is like, they definitely didn't do that at Gen Con. Mm-hmm. Honestly, they probably didn't do that in any of the conventions they were at this year. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But every other convention they did, you know, was a much bigger convention, you know, like Gen Con, Spiel. Uh, I can't remember the other one that I know that they intended. Comics something. Yeah. I can't remember what it is, but all of those, they, they, 
like they're gigantic conventions. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so the max is like 30, 35,000. Gen Con's like over 100,000. I don't even know if it's 30 or 35,000. That might be that's might be I high. I heard I, that. I, okay, that's that's I mean, that's good. That's more than it has been in recent years. I know. You know, it, obviously, brand new convention, but it's probably started around only ten thousand and has worked his way up yeah, to that. So sure, that's sure. still good for PAX Unplugged. Um, but yeah, uh, all in all, I, they probably brought the same amount of product they did to those other events, mm-hmm. and they just had a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So the other factor, of course, is uh, the promos. Um, this is a poorly image of him, so I have some. I have some here. I'll, I'll go full screen and, and show some of these off. So uh, we'll see. So we got, you can't really see it because the glare from my window, but like the bottom here has like this really nice in design of the foil. And, you know, these were cool. You can see a little better on the amethyst cards there. If I, yeah, yeah, if I tweak a little better and then, you know, yeah, you uh, th- these are the key factor here. Like obviously anyone that's paying attention to the market, um, you know, what are like the Gen Con Mickey's still still selling for like 80 75 right like they're, they're still they're still holding uh, a value even though there was 50,000 of them right yeah sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so these cards don't have 50,000 of them um they are not exclusive though so mm-hmm. they're likely to be at whatever convention uh you know Robinsberger is at next uh during season two is i think the way that this works out so uh if sometime in the next three months they're at another convention you'll be able to get these again but if they're not then it might have been the only time to really get those cards so why is it important to go to these events to get these promos uh i mean if you're a collector it's important because that way you don't have to pay for them sure. if you really if, if you really want them um yeah i mean it's so i'm not I'll talk about this from like the grinder seller mentality and then just from the general player mentality. Yeah. So for the grinder seller of cards mentality, there's no, it's insane to, to, to get promos for buying product, um, let alone playing in the events. Like, so, um, on, on Friday and Saturday, basically for as long as you spent over twenty five hours, you got the one promo for the day. So Friday was Rapunzel, Saturday was Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. So you buy a box, you get a card. Sunday, they said you spend seventy five up, you know, spend twenty five get one, spend fifty get two, spend seventy five get three. So now all of a sudden you're in a situation where you buy a box, you get all three. Right. So if you think about it logically, even if like the value of them is irrelevant. Like, like, as long as the value is something, you, sure. you can look at it like, as a seller, like, this is a discount off what I'm getting. 10%, 20%. Paying, yeah, paying for the box. So, given the fact that prices are way down, like, this really helps smaller sellers like us, relatively smaller compared to, like, gigantic, right. like, you know, institutions, right. maintain very good stock because we're basically paying well under MSRP for boxes. Not to mention the fact that I'm, we're already starting paying MSRP to begin with. Right. So they're charging MSRP plus tax, which I think was like 155. 155.01 or some crap. In, yeah. in Philly. So um, 
you're paying the same amount. Again, that was, that was the whole situation. Like you're paying the same amount as if you went to the big box store, but I didn't have to scramble around waiting for people to stock product. It was all there. And even if you let's, if you let's focus on Friday and Saturday, like I'm getting, let's say a $40, $35, like right now they're like 35, $40 promo. So my box realistically take that away. Like I'm paying like 115 for a box or something like that. Like, so it really helps offset the cost and, um, it's it's just a, a very big benefit now as a player um first of all playing in the events doing other things just buying some supplementary product if you need it um and if you were planning on coming to a convention like this in my opinion you should like have a need to buy product because that's one of the reasons you're here yeah um if you like collecting them it's just you know, you get them for free for playing in the events. Like we, I think right. we got a place out of each event that we played in. I, I think, um, I think it might've been two play sets, uh, okay. honestly. So I think so like, we, I think like if you got one for playing and then I think we got one, like if you were still in the event in the later rounds, they were just coming around and they dropped promos, they dropped packs, things like that. So like through the event, pretty much like the latter end of the events, they were just kind of like putting product or prizes or promos, whatever, like every round uh you know to each player that was still hanging out like i can't i don't i didn't walk around to any dealer selling singles no but like let's just use the mickey for example by the end of the weekend with mickey because so many of them were out yeah so many of them were out there most dealers were paying 25 dollars a piece for them mm -hmm. so like if you use those same ratios people will probably be paying like 10 bucks dealers will probably be paying like 10 bucks a piece for these so yeah. even as a player if you didn't want them for whatever reason didn't want them to collect and trade other people or whatever um you could easily just turn around and make easy money from a dealer yeah. so like again it's just a huge it just offsets your cost so if you're traveling from out out of t you know out of town you have to stay in a hotel and flights and things like that like personally like i would not miss an event that was if Robin that Robinsberger showed up to in this capacity, yeah. Events like I mean, it's, and I, I like I don't need to have like I mean there were I was obviously totally fine with the with the types of events they had there, mm -hmm. but like you know, it, even if they for some reason weren't there, like just buying the product and getting the promos was like completely worth the effort. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably a little bit different. Like if you go from player to seller at that point, mm -hmm. um, for us as sellers you know, is that portion of what we do. Yeah. It was absolutely beneficial to just say like, uh, you know, even on Sunday where they change the rules to, if you spend $75, you get one of each, um, you know, right there is like you said, if it's $30 each, that's 90 bucks. That makes what you're buying mm -hmm. a lot, you know, significantly cheaper. And also, I mean, it does set a precedent where if I only spend $75 and I get all three, technically it's free in a way, you know? Yeah. So like, yeah, you got to pay it to make it, but if, if it just is selling, then it, it is what it is. Um, so it is, it, it, it's definitely beneficial as a seller, as a player. I think, I think I would still need to have events, you know, like okay. it has to be like, I, I would, I look at it like if I was successful in the events as like, as I was, uh, I believe Friday's event was $30. So if I got, you know, one of each of these promos for playing, technically that event was free. Uh, whether or not I won or lost. Oh yeah. Sure, so, sure, you know, sure. just, just, just in that mindset of like, I can take these three promos to the vendor in the hall and give them them for 30 bucks. Like at least I can look at it that way. Like, Oh, I, I played my event. I didn't do well, but I still like made my money back on just that event. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of players that 
have that mindset. They have that, you know, that we, we, we call it a grinder mentality of just trying to always make their money back. And that's honestly a, a it's a way that most card gamers, uh, you know, try to live and try and, you know, get, especially like, listen, we were all kids in college one day, right? Like we get it. Like yeah, we, yeah. We, we know what it's like. So um, I think that's great. Uh, I do. I will say that to separate this from the others, right? You know, we have pro play games. We have uh, SEG Con now starting, you know, they did Pittsburgh last month. They have four events potentially lined up at the beginning of the year. The difference between those events and Robinsberger events is going to be the promos. And then also my other prop for the day is the pins. Like these are all worth something. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be difficult to say if in the same month, you know, like there's an SDG con, a PPG, and then a Robinsberger event or whatever, like it's going to be hard to go, well, I can't make all three of those. And most likely the Robinsberger one has promos that, you know, I can play for, it's all going to be guaranteed product and things like that. So I think there's just like a layer of things and a layer of reasons why as a player slash seller, uh, we would very likely target the Robinsberger exclusive event because of how much there is to truly gain from them. Totally agree. Speaking of things to gain, Scott, <laughs> let's talk about starter decks real quick. We don't want to cover this too much. I am still going to uh, to have a report on the website. It will be there by the end of the week, I promise. But Scott, uh, once again, we had a starter deck tournament basically the same scenario as gen con except just different decks uh give me your like 60 seconds feel on the feel of the starter decks for set two uh one of them is good and one of them is terrible (laughs) and if you don't have the good one you can't win (laughs) i can't against 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 the competent field i can't factually prove that there were zero amber sapphires in top eight i can't actually prove that what i can tell you is is that everyone that i was around playing for 3-0 was definitely playing amethyst steel <laughs> all mirrors or was it like well i wasn't a mirror okay so i played against an amber sapphire in round three uh but there were a table the two tables next to me were mirrors so yeah in my opinion the amber sapphire deck can only beat other amber sapphire decks it could not be a well, uh, an, uh, a mediocrely played, yeah, steel amethyst at all. Yeah, I, I think you know, just the design of both of the decks might be like a good starting point for the concept of Rise of Floodborne. Sure. Right. So, like, as a design of a deck, I think it's actually okay. The issue is in an event where you can only have those two decks, one of the decks is just not designed to beat the other one very well. Correct. I mean, just the resist mechanic alone. Mm-hmm. There were so many times throughout the like throughout the event, and for what it's worth, like in the games I had played uh, Previ to the Pax Unplugged while we were trying to figure out what cards we would cut and things like that. Uh the the prince or honestly like even tiana you know just having to resist on a four cost like the, the amber sapphire deck just can't deal with these cards effectively 
because all the guys are like two strength. They're just all weaklings. <laughs> so like there was a there was a point. I think it was in it was in round three where like I I just played my Tiana because my opponent he had three characters in play with all one lore and all three of them were either a one strength or a two strength card. And I was just like, he literally can't even get rid of this card. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He can't even get rid of it. Like, um, very difficult. Uh, I, I think that if you're going to continue to do starter deck tournaments like this, and especially in a world where you're wagering prizes like that, uh, I mean, I, I was not expecting at all to win a booster box let alone yeah. a booster box plus additional packs plus a uh, pl- plus a gift set like all of these things that were won in this event i'm not really sure that we should be leveraging it on like a coin flip for what starter deck we get i think that's that's not a place you want to be i i much rather i think everyone would have been way happier if this was just a six pack sealed yep. uh keep it a little more favorable for everybody like you know i it doesn't feel good that people that knew what they were doing going to the event had to like either sigh or groan after being held a deck. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think moving forward, if you're going to like really continue with the starter deck things, then they have to be more balanced to play against one another, not just balance in accordance to the game or, or just, just don't do two of them. Yeah. 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 Like even at Gen Con, like, yeah, there was a best one at Gen Con, but at least it's still, what before they announced the rules of the booster pack, it felt like way closer to like a rock, paper, scissors thing. Whereas this, this just doesn't like it. it I don't know. No, I agree. Just doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So let's move on to um, constructed here. And, you know, this past weekend packs unplugged, we had the first official uh, Robinsberger run constructed event. And it was, it ended up being 62 players. I think it might've been 63 because someone had a buy. And when I did the math, I didn't figure that out because it doesn't actually oh. show up in seating. So sure. there's a chance it was actually 63 people, whatever. We all make mistakes. Um, Melee sucks is the, the other real core fact. Yes. <laughs> so for the users was... and, and apparently for the organizers, what? For the organizers and the players, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah, we won't talk about that. It's fine. <laughs> um, they know th- they know what was wrong. They're going to work to fix it. That's good enough for me. I spoke enough to them about it all weekend, so I, I have yeah. faith that hopefully it gets fixed next time. Um, it, was, it was, though, indeed, in fact, the official first event. So with that being said, you know, it was a best of one. And this has been a topic honestly that we really haven't engaged with on facebook because a i was too busy either playing in the event or just trying to do my best due diligence to cover it to the best of my ability and it wasn't really worth it trying to get in some keyboard warrior argument about it sure and i'm just being blunt like i I did this happens every once in a while but let's have a real discussion here about the pros and cons of, of the best of one format so what what is like a pro of best of one? Uh, it goes faster. Sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's still pretty representative of what is going to happen. There's no sideboards in this game. Right. So really all you're doing is saying that in my, I don't care. Like you could play best of five. You could play best of seven. I could care less. Like, 
all you're really doing is saying I'm minimizing the chances of me getting a bad hand and that ruining my entire match mm-hmm. as opposed to like whatever. But like when you have a game that has, you can mulligan up the seven cards or if, and you wouldn't want to mulligan a lot of times, like that's not what you want to do. Like you actually want to mulligan like as efficiently as possible. Right. So like, if I'm going to keep these two key cards and I'm going to mulligan five, because just, just to try to get them better, like they could have been playable could have been ink, whatever, but like the mulligan rules of Arcana are so advantageous to a player that has a, like the right mentality as to like and the and the right deck to to use it. Right. That, in my opinion, like I, really a best of three is three individual games that you have to win two of, but like it doesn't really matter because all you really are in in games two and three is now I know my opponent's deck, so I can I can mulligan better. But in reality, like I can't rebuild my deck. I can't slide new cards in from a from a from a sideboard perspective. So it, it, to me, it doesn't really matter. The only thing I will say is that I just wish, if you're going to do best of one, and and I don't like the reason they did best of one here is for spacing because and timing concerns, in my opinion. That was pretty much the only reason because Robinsburg itself had had a play area, and they were doing all their events there, whether it was Lorcana or whether it was puzzles, whether it was like whatever painting whatever whatever else they, i don't know i watched I several don't know what else they puzzle do. tournaments man all right right, right. <laughs> the and the special event they were having so like they only had so much space right so let's leave that on the side because that's a different conversation as to like whether that should happen or not is sure. another story yeah um but the only thing i wish they would have done is if you're going to do best of one you just need to do swiss plus two so you just need to have more rounds but because the reason they did this was for time we're not going to add more. They're not going to add more rounds. Like we got done the finals. Like we had reservations at seven 45 and I think we were done by five 30. The overall, uh, event, you want to say, I thought it was closer to six 30, but I could be wrong, but that's like taking a break for, Oh, that's running. right. There was a 45 minute break for the topic. Right. right. Yeah. There was that too. And moving the finals to a different location. Like not right. Every, <laughs> yeah. <just> room. <laughs> They were already coupled up and playing. I was like, where the hell did they go? Right, right, right. <laughs> so, you know, so that being said, like you could you could get rid of some of those other times there. But, you know, the thing about Swiss Plus 2 is it like if, if you're playing one, it doesn't I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. Like all you're really doing is eliminating chances. Like what wound up happening in this event was that it was a clean cut where you either had to be 4-0 to go 4-0-2 or you had to be 5 one, five like one. five one at the five end, one, yeah. clean cut. So no X twos made it. So it was, yeah. it was essentially double elimination, which it, it it winds up being a lot anyway. So if you did Swiss plus two, which in this situation would have been instead of having six rounds, you would have had eight rounds. Right. Then like you wouldn't have just been able to draw in when you yeah, were four. You eliminate you eliminate the draws at four zero. Right. Right. And like, I, I have to run the math. I think there's a world where you could attempt. I I no, you can't do it because there's not enough. There wouldn't be enough players at five zero. Uh, that where you mm. could multi like you, there's no way that you would have enough players at 5-0 for three people or for all of you to draw in for three rounds. Yep. So even at 5-0, you can't just be like, oh, I'm just gonna draw in to the finals. So you have to play at least six rounds. Yep. Um before you can start drawing. And at that point, don't get me wrong, I think that if if intentional draws are in the game, that's what happens. I believe WoW didn't have intentional draws. No. So I think that's why, like, we there was never really uh, a problem, or I guess if you want to call it a problem, like whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter to me. Um, that where it was ever that type of conversation, but now you can look at it and go, 
60 person event, the players that started 4-0 effectively just got two buys, which is hey, like they went 4-0, like whatever. Like they they earned yeah, that. Yeah. Earned that right. Um and there's only four of them. Right. So. There was there was four. Yeah. So it, at, literally in round four, we already knew four people that were in the top eight. Mm-hmm. And then everyone else had to play it out for like duke it out for the last few rounds. Um but like I, no I, matches went to time. No matches went to time whatsoever. Uh no, there there was a few. There was a few. Really? Uh, that were, that were yeah, yeah, no, un- there was definitely a few. Girls? Um, what? I didn't see that many unintentional. Oh no, 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 no. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know that there were any actually. Right. Um, right. But I'm saying there were definitely games that did go to time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were I'm calling time and rounds and things like that. Sure. So, yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I don't even know actually. I I would have to go and look at the the standings. Um, but all in all, I I think that for me, best of one creates a different strategy going in and then once you accept that uh Mm -hmm. then it's fine you know like for us it turned into really mulligan for curve you know like Mm -hmm. yes there were specific cards that like we wish we had known that you're supposed to mulligan for in a given matchup but again once you just understand that that's not something you can just plan for anymore you plan differently you plan strategically so like we're going to look at our deck list here in a second but you know like our deck decided to go and play more one cost and more two cost than most decks or most versions of this deck i would say that i would build normally because we were just playing for curve because when you're going in blind in a one game match you're much likely you know better off always playing your one cost as opposed to always inking your one cost if you're on the if you're on the play because you don't know what's going on that's just one example the other thing it does is that it to me, it's always going to make your your deck building a little bit different um, across the board, whether or not you decide to give up on certain matchups because it invests the one right. you're less right. likely to even attempt. Um, all those things go into it. In all honesty, like the more and more I've really thought about after hearing the complaints on the weekend, the only true argument that's kind of fair is I don't, like I can mulligan better in games two and three than I did in game one. And while that's true and it's fair, I'd still argue that if the the secondary complaint is, well, I lost the die roll, so I lost the match, it it the the, the amount of times that that's gonna change because you played a third game is like, you know, what, 10%, 15%, like like what is like how high is that number truly to say like that's the horse I'm gonna ride out on, um, and I think that's my bigger deal here. Like information is great, and that's the key factor here is that information is the most important. Making the better educated mulligan is the most important. But if we're talking about die rolls, then that's less likely to do with the best of one than it is to do with just the format and game itself. So like for all I care, you're honestly, you're just saving me 20 minutes. Like if, if I'm going to, if, if the whole game is based on a die roll anyway, then I don't need to play three games. And I'm, I'm not even for what it's worth. I'm not saying that it is based on a die roll and I'm going to refute it in a moment here. But the point is, is that if that's the hill you're going to die on, then you're going to die on in game three when you, when you win game two on the play and then lose on game three on the draw anyway. So best of one, again, is saving you 20, 25 minutes. That's where I'm at. I've always been comfortable with best of one in a game that doesn't have a sideboard. I do believe the events will run 
exponentially faster. Yep. Uh, 30 minute time round, 30 minutes to play one game is honestly in this meta game way more than enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had played four mirror matches on the day that were control, control mirror matches, whatever. And I think I had 10 to 15 minutes in every round to do whatever I wanted to do. Yep. So there was never a time where I was sitting at the end of the game going, oh man, I can't believe that this is going to go to time. Like it's not going to happen. So I'm totally fine with best of one. And like you, best of one plus, you know, Swiss plus two. Great. That would be ideal. It would solve everything and it would make events run a lot faster. You'd have a lot more time at the end of the day to do crap that you want at the conventions you're attending all of those things so i'm all for it so let's talk about our deck sure all right so this is the top eight deck from uh pax unplugged scott you and i played the exact same list except for the one cost characters uh and (laughs) for everyone at home wondering why did you guys do that well i like olaf because he (laughs) likes warm hugs and we have only had four foil Olafs, so I took all of them, and Scott played four foil Minnie Mouse. That, yes. that, that, that's the only reason. There's, there's no other reason aside from that. Everything else is completely cut dry. Uh, Scott, tell me about the list and you know what you really enjoyed and why we chose this one. Um, it's pretty standard Ruby Amethyst bounce control. Um, it's... It's a lot less aggressive than some versions that I've seen uh, that are out there. I mean, you can basically take, what, like 10 to 15 cards and change it around, and you'll get a completely, sort of completely different deck. Um, You'll see versions that are like four ofs, et cetera. I like to play a lot of variety in my my games in general. Explicitly with the amount of draw power that this deck can can have. Yeah. Um, So you have... You have Merlin Rabbit, who's insane draw power. You have Friends on the Other Side, insane draw power. And and basically, you have Bounce. Mm-hmm. And the Bounce is the also draw power. power. Yeah. Because a lot of times what happens is, like, if you're, if you're playing a one-drop and then you play that, that, that snake on two, that one-drop is probably never coming back into the playing field again. So you basically just drew a card, which you're going to be able to ink. Um, so the, the, quote, downside of... Manamim Snake and Manamim Fox are just non-existent. Uh, you know, the Fox is an extra power compared to Rafiki and is inkable, just nuts, and again, like, allows you to reuse a lot of your cards. This this deck also has a ton of come-into-play abilities. Um, so besides the Merlins that have come in and go out abilities, um, you also have Lady Tremaine, uh, Maleficent, Monster Dragon, and Yzma, who I didn't play once on the day, but you have it. Um, to be able to, and and the, the Sorceress, and the little Baby Terrain, and LeFou that are able to abuse, um, if you bounce it back to hand and play them again, you get their abilities again. Um, the last card is Arthur. We played three of it. A lot of people played four of it. It's just because it's uninkable, and because we very, very, very rarely played it on turn three, so like you don't necessarily have to hit it on curve, so you can play it later, so that's why we only played three of them. Um, that may change going forward. I'm not sure, um, but... He does everything I just said about Mim Snake and Mim Fox in terms of being able to reuse cards, but then also is essentially a three lore character because, I mean, like you're paying almost nothing to to put whatever you bounce like right back into play. And if you put a Fox, a Snake, a LeFou, any of these things into play, 
uh, if you bounce them back and then replay them, the Arthur is basically protected right now from uh, from from being challenged. Even if you re even if you replay him right away, because he's he's ready. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's just it's it. There's a lot of synergy here. Um, the the amethyst draw package is just completely overtuned, in my opinion. Um, adding the bounce to it, where it's not a downside to, to me, it's just completely overtuned. And then the ruby removal um, between Maui, Lady Tremaine, and Maleficent Monstrous Dragon, and be prepared is just the most efficient non-damage based removal. Other than if somehow Maui couldn't take out somebody that had seven toughness or seven willpower for some reason, um, or you know, it, it, it it's just the most efficient removal you can get without any downside. Like, so, like, you don't have, like, yes, Hades is a non-inkable Maleficent monstrous dragon costs seven, but it gives them, a, it technically gives them a resource, you know, like, gives them an ink. Um, so you have no problem getting to nine if you want to, to play Maleficent. Um, we only paid three be prepared because the deck is just so much removal and so much ability to deal with the board that like a lot of times it was like be prepared was just a in case of emergency break glass. It was almost like, like a one for one in most yeah. cases. Yeah. I mean, obviously it gives you the ability to, to another ability to get things out of combat. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing I'd like to add about the be prepared is that we really, unlike in chapter one where we were in all honesty, often singing it, this deck yeah. was never going to sing be prepared very difficult so you're very likely having to commit your whole turn to it so like yeah. when it happens it has to really be a break glass moment like you just said yeah uh the last card that we played i'm not sure everybody else did was teeth of ambitions so you forgot um, one what mini mouse <laughs> well oh the mini yeah. uh, the server a lot of people yeah. played server. a lot of people played server. no no but i'm saying she was a card that you hadn't mentioned yet yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She was definitely a card that I don't think going into the tournament really had a whole lot of hype around her. And I honestly, as a player, you know, was shocked that so many people were on her, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, she's an evasive two lore um, and combos really well with both Friends on the Other Side and Teeth and Ambitions. Facts. Because she's evasive. Um, also, very easily gets rid of pesky Pascals that... Yep. Felt which is why we did, which is why we didn't play Pascal. Yeah. Um, because he could not be teeth and ambition. That's why we played extra one three. Teeth and ambitions. He couldn't. Well, he. I'm sorry. He can be teethed. He right. can be let the storm rage on. He can right. be right. strength of a raging fire. All those things. We went with right. one threes because we felt that they had the best chance to still be there when we need to bounce cards for snake or fox, or to use our own teeth and ambitions to damage on them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, that too. And put it somewhere else. Um. Yeah. We. Teeth Ambitions to us was a card that, like, we didn't want to play without. Um, I sang it a decent amount on the day. Um, uh, yeah, no, I I very often sang uh, with either Goat or Rabbit, whether it had been Friends or Teeth of Ambitions. Those cards were almost always singing, uh, singing for me later on in the game. And there were definitely occasions where, like, the Snake would sing uh, yeah. to take out a Pinocchio or, you know, whatever a nuisance was going on. The, the really insane thing about Teeth of Ambitions for me in this deck is that how often I was able to sing it and then just play a fox or play a new snake or sure. quest with Arthur. And then like the damage on my end never even existed. Yep. Um, like it, it was there because it had to be there, but it was gone before my opponent could ever even utilize the fact that they had damage. Uh, and, and I think that's the key factor. The, the, the other big thing here is that it's an inkable card. Yep. Um, 
much like honestly very similar to the dragon where it, it costs nine it costs a million but it's like yeah but it's inkable and when i can play it it's almost always the best card that i can play in that given moment probably at that given time and the same thing with teeth here is that when teeth is like outrageously good then you're blowing out your opponent and then when it's just average you're like all right well at least i can ink it i'm not stuck with it in my hand like much if i compare it to like a fire the cannons you know fire the cannon is uninkable which means like when that card's bad it sits in your hand and it's bad until like forever this card at the very end is still like yep i can just i can put it in my resource row and move on yep yep um in all honesty for me as a player playing this deck all weekend the one card that everyone was very shocked, uh, I would say not everyone, but most players were very shocked about the little Tremaine. Um, yep. What did she do for us in this deck? Um, so she she allowed you to race effectively because she did take a lore away from your opponent. Um, she also, it, it, was, it was unexpected cheap lore removal. So, I mean, literally, like there were times where I went, where I was on the draw and my opponent played a one drop and quested and that lore was gone. And then all of a sudden we're back at zero. And then our, like, like I have a efficient two drop that's going to bounce back to my hand. That's going to be- eventually do it later. Like you erased a turn from them mm-hmm. essentially of, of questing. Now the one three might still be there, but like they got absolutely no use out of it. So it was, she was a good early drop to be able to bounce with Arthur Fox, etc. Um, She's obviously understated, but whatever. Then you can shift the bigger Tremaine onto her. Now, the best thing to do was to shift the bigger Tremaine onto her. And then, like, like so so if it's turn six where you would normally play the bigger Tremaine, I had no problems on the day. Like, I had a little Tremaine to play. I'm still going to play the big Tremaine for full value. I'm not going to shift it. But if I had a snake in hand or I had an Arthur that was active in play, now all of a sudden I can shift it and get both of them back in my hand to probably take a lure away from my opponent and replay her again. Yeah. So you were just getting a lot of value because they both have come into play abilities by shifting them onto one another. Yeah. Um, there were some situations where it was like, if I shift this on four, I get value because they I get to take out a decent character because it was the only character they had in play. Yeah. Um, Most but, of the time it was, um, you know, left. Even if it was just like leftover characters, like yep. in the mirror, it, it's hard to see this, but like a leftover Olaf in the mirror only means they can fox it only mm-hmm. means they can snake more efficiently so like yep. even by getting rid of whatever card they are just by like you know just by playing the character it's still like it's like there's more layers to it than i think the normal player is just picking up on but i was very often purposely playing out you know my minis or my olafs in some situations because i'm like you know what i need protection from tremaine yep and if and the other truth on like the other layer to that is like if they don't if if my Olaf in play means that they don't tremaine me, it now makes my fox or my snake or an Arthur even more free because I just have like an easy target to pick up that I can just replay again and, and things like that. So th- there's a lot of layers to uh where it is. But like you said, for me, the baby tremaine, it's a card that it, three or four weeks ago I probably trashed in a podcast. And said, that I would like never play this card ever. It's terrible. It's understated. It's uninkable. Your opponent has to be ahead. And then through literally the first weekend of playing with Rise of the Floodborne, I was just a believer. Like, <laughs> it's, 
the card is actually very, very competitive. Um, it, it really does everything that you, that you had just said. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is like, it's a, it's a great combo with teeth and ambitions because the two that you save by shifting is exactly what you can use for teeth. Right. So they're in a situation where their anti Tremaine character has two willpower. You use teeth first and then not on the baby Tremaine, obviously, but on something <laughs> else. Um, and now your your shifted larger Tremaine gets the target that you wanted to get to. Right. So you you're earning a position where it's very difficult for your opponent to go wide against this deck anyway because of Fox, Snake, etc. So like it's difficult for them to do that to begin with. Um, and then these little subtle combos throughout the throughout the throughout the deck make sure that like you're getting full value out of the Ruby high end. Um, especially that you're getting full value out of Tremaine. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, any last things about the deck? I mean, there's things I would change going sure. forward, but um, I, I still think it's 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 pound for pound, in my opinion, still the best deck in the metagame. It it does so much and really leverages the strengths of of your deck, knowing how to play it. Um, gives you the ability to replay a lot of powerful cards throughout it, like. Every time you look up, like you have seven cards in your hand and like you still have a board and things like that. Like this is things you could not do in chapter one. Right. Um, the the Mim Fox and the Mim Snake are very, very powerful cards. Um, the Arthur just helps you close out games. Obviously, there's different versions of this that do use Arthur, don't use Arthur, use Spellbook, don't use Spellbook. There's like... And like they're going to be covered in an upcoming interview. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I got you guys. <laughs> and you can change 10 to 15 cards in this deck and it, it the, but the core of it remains the same. Yeah, I think you're always going to find you're always going to find the same card. So I, I think finding what aspects you want to add to it really is where the like where that extra 10 to 15 percent comes in, given a metagame or given a certain matchup. Yeah, I feel like in an upcoming podcast, we're going to have a very large conversation about the Amethyst core package from Rise of the Floodborne and its actual overall effect on the metagame. Uh, I'm going to give it a couple more weeks before, you know, with more reports and see if something else comes out that can compete and combat it. But at this early stage with the amount of events coverage that we've already seen and the amount of success the deck has already seen, I think it's going to be pretty difficult for it to, I don't think it's going to be like a chapter one where the deck is going to slowly fall off. Uh, I'm more scared that the deck is only going to grow uh, yeah. in numbers in all honesty. So we'll have to see what players kind of go about to decide that but again if you haven't you know the, the, the we're always discussing it <laughs> yeah yeah um so let's just talk about the the end of the events of course for us uh it, for anyone that doesn't know scott and i from other games it's basically impossible for scott and i not to play at an important port like an important part of the tournament i wish we would just get it out of the way in round one and be done with it but no <laughs> we're never ever both allowed to make top eights and events not allowed, so we had to play, is what it is. It, I've just grown accustomed to it at this point. But to end it all and discuss one last time of the importance of going to <laughs> Ravensburger events, this is our loot from the weekend uh, from the boxes that we purchased. My wife had a wonderful time opening everything yesterday. And uh, from a point A to point B opening weekend – we did open less product, uh, not significantly less, less product, and we only got two enchanteds. So as my wife just kept 
opening product yesterday and just ripping Enchanted after Enchanted, I was quite happy with the overall weekends. <laughs> yeah, we were on the right side of variance. Um, yes. <laughs> because because as you saw in that picture that I took, the boxes obviously didn't come from the same case. Right, so right. Even if the theory that like it's one per case or it's X per case instead of there being whatever, like you can see these boxes are loose boxes. I'm sure even, I don't even know that the, you know, it could have been four across, four down that came out of a case. Who knows? Yeah. who I mean, so, It could have, it could have not even been their normal cases. Right. Like it right. could have just been like, here's 30 boxes in a box, yeah. you know, like I, I, who knows? So we were on the right side of variance to not be in it, not be a case this time. If I was working, I would have seen it. Damn yeah. it. I should have made more of a stink about doing that. <laughs> Whereas two weeks ago, I think we were on the wrong side of variance by not getting boxes that were in a case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, how did the, like, was it still, I don't know if you know this, like, was it still basically five legendaries per box? Yeah, the average was definitely five legendaries per box. Um, for sure. The secret rares were the same. I can say yeah. that um, the variance on this time, like, you know, we got, only four foil legendaries which i'm not complaining about because they're six uh, six enchanted so that's still like <laughs> right you know that's actually better than like either like one every other box in theory of with the enchanted because we have to assume that most boxes that have an enchanted would not have a foil legendary yeah um so if you're saying in 10 of the 14 boxes that we opened yesterday there was either an enchanted or a foil legendary that's way better odds than we did uh, yeah. A couple weeks ago for release weekend also, where we likely ended up on the bad side of variants. Um, I will say the secret rares were a bit skewed. I already complained to Scott about this, but we got like six foil Cheshire cat super rares and only one foil Arthur. So like I hated life for a moment and then remembered that there's six enchanted. So I can't really be too upset <laughs> about any of it. Um, <laughs> so all in all, it was interesting to see. Um, the two and and honestly, we can say the same about the Gen Con stuff, because at Gen Con, you know, our numbers for Enchanteds were much greater than our opening numbers for release weekends, and that was even with sealed cases, because we had three sealed cases and an additional two sealed cases of friends that we knew about that none of them had Enchanteds in it. So that was twenty mm -hmm. boxes right there of sealed cases that didn't have Enchanted. So maybe there's something to this the, the Robinsberger packaging as well for these events where they're like throw them in there i don't know we're never gonna know guys we're never gonna know the truth but what i can tell you is that from gen con and from pax unplugged the enchanted's were better <laughs> that's yep. what i can tell you <laughs> yep. all in all um hope you guys enjoyed listening today there's so much going on in the channel meta reports uh finance stuff coming up there's so much the things to talk about in finance because of the impact of pax unplugged and all that fun stuff so definitely look out for that Scott will be covering it per usual. Um, I have interviews with the third place finisher and the winner of PAX Unplugged and maybe even someone from GalaxyCon as well. Lots to be had on the channel. Hit, me up, hit us up in the comments. Let us know if you enjoyed this. And of course, as always, smash that like button. See you guys in the next one. See you next time.